Hello and welcome to the Minimax Show, plays about games, friends, and getting better. I'm Ben Hansen, joined by Jeff Marquiafava. Hey! We got Sergio Vasquez. That's me! And Kyle Hilliard's here too! Hi, I made it. Welcome everybody. On this episode of the podcast, we're talking about games. We're talking about uh, the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles games that was just revealed. Very exciting. Um, we're going to give an update on Halo Infinite because they've been trickling out info that kind of hasn't been grabbed onto, I think, as much as it maybe could have. That's a weird way of putting it. But the point is, we're also going to be talking about Everhood, Pixel Junk Raiders, which I'm strangely curious about. Um, and then we'll get Leo Vader in here and talk about Loop Hero and then answer a bunch of community questions that people submitted on Patreon. So thank you for that. Um, Kyle Hilliard, if people are watching this or listening to this, which, by the way, if you're watching this and you're subscribed to the podcast version, we'd always appreciate that, leaving a review. That'd be lovely. But if people are hungry for more games conversations from us this week where might they go if they're interested in a certain game from 2009 as well well the first step is to look at the sky and see yeah. the gigantic moon and then look for the bat symbol mm-hmm. you know pointing toward the clouds and then you can go to our youtube channel and watch our deepest dive yeah. the signal will have the url in it yes <laughs> that's right uh yeah it's we got a bit of code. Code. Yeah. we just kicked off the deepest dive on batman arkham asylum where we're uh taking the game breaking it up into parts a uh, huge game club discussion and so part one getting up until going up until you get the line launcher in the game that is now live on our youtube channel and the podcast version is in the patreon exclusive podcast feed so if you want to unlock that we'd always appreciate if you support us on patreon um, we are joined by Kyle Hilliard, of course, Brian Vore, formerly of Game Informer, who has visited Rock City three times. He wrote the cover story for Arkham Asylum back in the day, so it's fun to have his perspective. And then also Brandon Jones, uh, Brendan Jones, I should say, from Easy Allies. Uh, so it's a very fun chat, so please check that out. Also, just a heads up, everybody, if you're a supporter at any tier on Patreon, you can compete in the second episode of Trivia Tower our community video game trivia show. And this next episode is going to be Monday, March 15th. So if you support us at any tier on Patreon, you get access to the Discord, and that's where this competition is taking place. So we'll send you like a live stream link, and then you jump in there, compete to win uh, game codes from Bandai Namco and from Capcom. We have codes for stuff like Little Nightmares 2, Resident Evil 7, Monster Hunter World Iceborne. Um, There's a lot of fun codes to give away to people who know a thing or two about the video game industry. And our co-host for this episode is Danny O'Dwyer from Noclip. So if you're like me and you're desperate to impress uh, Danny O'Dwyer with your video game knowledge, Trivia Tower is the place for you. Uh, If you're confused about any aspect of Trivia Tower, feel free to leave a comment, uh, send me a tweet. I'm happy to clear anything up uh, because we'd love to have you play because we are also announcing a new Patreon goal. And we're pretty close to this. If we hit 2,500 patrons, we will record commentary tracks. We've done Star Wars commentary tracks that are in the Patreon-exclusive podcast feed. What's the next best thing? We decided it's Lord of the Rings, baby. So if we hit 2,500 patrons, we will record commentary tracks for the Lord of the Rings trilogy extended edition, of course. So Are you insane, Hanson? We're doing it. <laughs> you can't spring this that. on us. That's like 16 hours of work. It's going to be fun. So if we hit that goal of 2,500 patrons, we'd appreciate it. So if you've been on the fence, it's a great time to jump in. You can compete in Trivia Tower and you can help us hit that goal. Uh, we'd appreciate the support. Any help sharing with a friend is also appreciated. Um, okay. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles <laughs> Shredder's Revenge. Let's talk some turtles. We talked about Batman for the deepest dive. Now let's really get to the important stuff here with the Ninja Turtles. Uh, Serial, did you watch that trailer for Shredder's Revenge? 
Yeah, I had a surprisingly long preamble before I got to see what the game was actually like. <laughs> well, they just basically recreated the intro. It's like a new version of the old yeah. intro song, which is fun to see. But it looked all right. Like it looked, it looked sort of like a um, when you put a GBA game through like if you somehow get it to run on your computer, mm-hmm. uh, and it's like okay, we did all the the graphical filters to make it look nice. I think it look it kind of looked like that. Like the flow of animation, I think reminded me a lot of like GBA games. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it very much feels like you know it's a spiritual successor. <laughs> <laughs> what just happened? Yeah, uh, the UPS the delivery guy. Just yeah, the UPS guy. The package is uh, here. So. I think I was using to block out my my window. Uh, oh. <laughs> I really thought somebody was breaking through your window cereal behind you. It is insane. Uh, for audio listeners, you okay? is you? Falling down. No, yeah, no, it's fine. What's your heart rate like? Uh, I was kind of expecting it to do that because it was so windy. I was just kind of nervous, but now there he goes. Well, there it goes. Move on. Jesus Christ. Um, Yeah, so it's very much a spiritual uh, successor to you know Turtles in Time and the old uh, beat 'em ups uh, for Ninja Turtles. But the exciting thing is it's developed by Tribute Games, who made Mercenary Kings and the Fantastic Scott Pilgrim. So like they have the pedigree, and then it's published by .emu, who just you know published like Streets of Rage Four. Um, and so it's an interesting pairing. It seems like one of those, like, oh, of course this should exist. It's just the best possible thing is to have these beat up experts make a new take on one of the most beloved beat up licenses of all time. Yeah, I'm very curious to see if they do anything to the formula. Like, because I think a lot those games get a lot of, like, flack for not being super interesting after you, you know, beat up bad guys for, like, an hour and a half or <laughs> right. whatever. And, like, yeah, I, so I'm curious to see if they kind of iterate on the... Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles stuff that from like the the classic games. Yeah, I don't know if they need to iterate though because they got the classic thing of hitting a Foot Clan soldier in the face and then he flies up into the screen like slams into the glass. It's that very satisfying. Yeah, to see. those are always the best kills. Yeah, um, I, I like the animation in it though. Just like a little bit they've shown already. I, I'm very into it. Um, and they seem to tease. I don't think they announced this, but they seem to tease in that intro video that like April and probably Splinter are going to be playable. Like they both have like their own little action moment in that intro video. So I'd imagine uh, they're going to be unlockable or something like that. But Yeah. And it, it was just nice seeing because I, I started watching that trailer without knowing anything about the project. So for the first half, I was like, oh, are they doing like an, a really, you know, like animated stylized you know, like the Cuphead version where you can't tell that it's not the cartoon animation oh, that fun, they're going yeah. for? Uh, but it it was just nice to see the Ninja Turtles the way that I remember them and someone getting like what was cool, but also you know even though it was even though it's still campy, what was cool about like that original cartoon? Like the that intro is better than the cartoon ever actually was, and so it's nice seeing a a new you know hand drawn style of that, and I'm hopeful that the game will kind of follow in the same way that you know like understanding what was cool about the arcade version of that, but also making a better version of it. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think they have a release date. They just say coming soon, so who knows? But Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Shredder's Revenge, name of that little ditty. Um, Halo Infinite, everybody. Um, Kyle, probably the biggest Halo yes. fan here. Um, have you been paying attention to the way that Microsoft and 343 have been getting the word out about Halo Infinite? Because it's really subtle it seems like they are just focused on messaging to their hardcore fans with basically like a wada ask style updates over at halo waypoint yeah i i have not been 
following it. I mean, you saying like, hey, we should check out this blog and talk about it. Like that was my first hearing of it. And I went and read it and I was like, this is pretty dense. Like there's actually like a lot of stuff in here. I mean, there's like, there's no revelations, I would say. Like, but I mean, it really cements like a lot, a lot of our assumptions. Like they're very much trying, looking to Halo 1 as inspiration, like in a big way. Um, it does seem like it will have a little bit of that sort of far cryness to it where it's like you take out bases, you know, in a large sort of interconnected world. And then um, one thing that I was like interested in from reading the blog, like they showed the grapple hook in the trailer. Yeah. And you're like, that's cool. That's interesting. But judging from the blog, like at least the most recent one, the one that you pointed me toward, that is going to be like a much more integral part of the game than I assumed. Because it really sounds like, like, as I thought it would maybe just be this item that you would just use occasionally, but it seems like it's going to be like a major tool of navigation. Like, I think it, judging by the blog, you know, which is like essentially Microsoft marketing, it really seems like that will be a major function of the game that could make this Halo feel different. Conceivably, we'll have to get our hands on it, but. Of course, yeah. It was interesting too. They released um, a video that was called like Ask 343 and it's with Quinn Del Hoyo, um, one of the designers over there who was also a designer of the multiplayer for Gears of War Judgment. I remember meeting him on that cover story trip and he was a a very energetic and fun guy. Um, But in that video, he was talking more about the grapple hook and he's like, yeah, you can actually shoot it to like pick up weapons from a distance and like have yeah. the weapons come towards yeah. you, which is fun. Or uh, apparently you can also use it to like grapple onto a Banshee and then hijack the Banshee from the grappling hook, which is a very fun idea. I mean, they kind of described it almost as like kind of being a nightmare for the designers because it gives players so much leeway and how much they can like grapple onto top of things. And like if they're trying to get into a facility, like the grappling hook, you know, they had to design around the idea that you could just point and pull yourself anywhere you know yeah. which sounds awesome like i love the idea of it i don't know how how much the final game will integrate that or if that will you know will be how open it feels but i love the idea of it yeah i'm fascinated by microsoft's messaging for halo infinite so far and this isn't like a gotcha but surreal i'm about to gotcha oh um, no yeah um is halo infinite open world from what you know right now yes or no you you got me <laughs> No, but honestly, what do you think? Uh, I think it'll be like what Kyle described is that I think you'll have, I think it'll be pretty guided in that you will always have an objective, but I think it'll, your objectives will just happen to kind of crisscross around the map. I, I don't think it'll be like, okay, well now you can clear out these icons or whatever on the map. I just think that you'll be kind of going back to places and like, oh, now you have like the ice grappling hook or whatever. And now you can go back to this other area and open the ice door or whatever. Things like that. Yeah, it's interesting. Like they are not saying open world, but all of their messaging where they have talked about it is they say like, oh, it's somewhere between classic Halo and open world. So I'm wondering, like, does that mean open region based on like different biomes going around the new Halo? Is that what you take it to mean, Kyle? I mean, I suspect kind of reading it is like my suspicion is that like if you look at Halo 1, which is like a big touch point for them, even yeah. in that writing. I think it will be like if you can imagine Halo 1 playing through Halo 1 um, but without sort of loading screens. You know what I mean? Like instead of like, you know, completing the level, you go to a menu and then you go to the next level. I think it's just going to be more fluid. I think you'll still be going along these paths, but I don't but I think it will be sort of this maintained consistency throughout where you're never really 
leaving a menu necessarily. I would hope so. That's my assumption based on what I read, you know? Yeah. It's interesting how much they're emphasizing the sandbox. It kind of has flavors of Breath of the Wild in there as well about, you know, getting new tools, yeah. going back, exploring new areas, and we want to really rely on physics. Even, you know, on the physics end of the spectrum, they're talking about how like the damage modeling for all the vehicles has been reworked. So it's much more specific. So now like an individual tire of the warthog can go out and affect the driving. Like they want to really break things down in that way and kind of have fun in the physics sandbox of what they're doing here on the new halo, which is called the Zeta. Zeta? Zeta? Halo is Z- the official Zeta name. Halo? Yeah. 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 It, but Zeta. I also, they, they also, I liked that they talked about the sort of wildlife that you'll see, you know, like you'll see animals and stuff like that, but they were like very explicit. They were like, there is no crafting in this game. You have the Majolner armor. They, I think that I was, I was pulling up the blog so I could find exactly what they wrote, but they're like, Master Chief does not need leather boots or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> don't be confused. Yeah, I still love that yeah, reveal uh, trailer. Spartans wear Majolner assault armor. They don't need leather boots. <laughs> By the way, Mjolnir, okay. Kyle. We all know how to say Mjolnir now, right? Mjolnir? Was yeah, I, yeah I, I don't know how to say it. It's it, a made-up word. Well, like all words. I mean, is it made up if people believe in it? Anyways, <laughs> um, yeah, there's just like... I believe in Mjolnir. <laughs> I believe. Um, yeah, but the... Uh, the way that they even like frame the story, I think is interesting talking about like, okay, you're on the new Halo and you are confronting the Banished and Cortana on the trailer or in this world. And you're trying to unpack what the mystery of this new Halo is all about, which I'd never really seen them address that directly. They're like, oh, yeah, you know, you're confronting Cortana. You are dealing with the ramifications yeah. of where the story is now in the post Halo 5 universe. Um, Jeffum, do you think you yes, will play sir. and enjoy Halo Infinite? I mean, I will surely play it. Um, I think I'll enjoy it. Um, I, I think, I think they'd have to blow it pretty hard for me not to enjoy that kind of more opening sandbox, classic Halo esque kind of thing. Especially, you know, with the co op angle in there. If you have like a buddy that you enjoyed playing Halo One with, and especially with Game Pass, like it seems like it's set up for success. But obviously, based on the amount of turnover and delays i mean it seems like they're really struggling that this is a a tough project to to pull together on the new engine over there yeah everybody's at least hot on the new screenshots that they've put out which you know screenshots don't tell you as much as as gameplay video did a few months back but but everyone's saying that it looks much better and that there's more detail in the world they're definitely aware that of that outcry, you know, a lot of the messaging of these blogs is like, we hear you. We're working on these very specific improvements to the graphics. Yeah, it, it seems like they had a whole plan for, you know, how they were going to market this. But now they're, they're basically, since they're, I'm guessing, working on some sort of visual rework that they're kind of doing what they're doing, what they would have done, except they're not showing it. And so they're just kind of being very explicit about what they're what the game will have. Right. Because I think that stuff is more or less locked down. Maybe who knows? Yeah. Yeah. And there's just like those big obvious things with Halo Infinite that people aren't really talking about. Obviously, we don't have a lot to go off, but just like who exactly is Master Chief's buddy, like the guy who rescues him, like that Hispanic guy in the ship that we've seen a couple times now that seems like has a lot of friction with Master Chief about what he wants to do versus what Master Chief wants to do. It seems like that's probably going to be your new voice over the radio for at least a section mm. of the game, you know, maybe starting out. Um, but Approximately the first half. Probably something <laughs> like that. Who knows? Um but let's see, other things, uh, is it's interesting how much they're messaging 
that like, hey, fall 2021 was when this thing is coming out, but please, that is the start of the runway. Like, we have so much to go. This is a living game. It's a live game. We're going to be adding new weapons. We're going to be tweaking things along the way. They pointed out that, uh, like, balances to the weapons in single player or multiplayer is not going to affect each other. It's not like, Hmm. you know, a shared, uh, you know, system between those two and whatnot. But, I mean, they're definitely bracing for this thing to be, hey, we are going to keep supporting this for a long time, so... If you're disappointed at launch, please wait. It's going to get better. <laughs> Seems to be like a which, messaging beat that a lot of them are hitting in those little, you know, right. posts. Yeah. Which which I guess they have more leeway on since it's going to be a Game Pass thing, you know? You're not asking people to put down $60 specific. I mean, unless they don't have Game Pass. But I I I would guess that may buy them a little more goodwill than, you know, the kind of cyberpunk the cyberpunks of the world get. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, outside of the $60, $70, you know, the non-Game Pass version, it's still wild that they just tweeted out that the multiplayer is going to be completely free to play and run at 120 frames per second. But that's one of those things that I remember every once in a while. Like, oh, that's going to be so wild to have Halo Infinite's multiplayer trying to compete in the same realm as, you know, a Warzone. I just am so curious what that audience is going to look like. And especially with how much they're pushing this thing on PC as well. Like they're really trying to emphasize like we're really taking the PC version seriously. We want to make sure it feels world-class with, you know, on the mouse and keyboard and all that stuff. So like, I don't know what this audience is going to be like, but it could really change what Halo is. Yeah. Especially once they add their battle Royale mode that they (laughs) refuse to admit is going to be there, but we all know what's happening. It's a living game. Eventually it'll trickle in. Um, Kyle, other thoughts on Halo Infinite? Uh, they talked a lot about the the golden path for the yeah. story, which I thought it was interesting that they phrased it that way, which does lead me to believe that, you know, you can go off and do your own thing as much as as much or as little as you want, you know, but there is going to be like a strict storyline you can follow. I mean, conceptually, I really love the idea of just hanging out on Zeta Halo and pinging between points, getting in a warthog and driving between areas like on paper, I, I'm really into it, and I like it as the next direction for Halo. So, yeah, I'm excited. Um, if you had to predict Metacritic score for the Xbox Series X version of Halo Infinite, what are you going with? Uh, high, high 80, because I bet there's going to be a lot of skeptics going into it. Okay. You know what I mean? A lot of like, it's good, it's good, it's, it's really good, but no like over-the-moon people, you know what I mean? No, like, this is changing shooters again. I don't think it's going to hit that apex. You're saying, like, Gears 4, Gears 5 level? I think more than that. I think higher okay. than that. I think yeah. uh, I'm going with 83. Okay. Really? What you do you think, think there'll sorry, be tech issues at launch? Who knows? <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, there will be, right? But There'll be something. What are you going to do? What's your prediction, Sarah? Uh, probably in that range. I think a lot of people will be like, oh, get Halo still really good. Or like the best case scenario they can hope for. It's like, oh, Halo is still really good, but that means something different now, right? It That doesn't make it mm. like the marquee video game of our time, the way it kind of used to be. And people just- You got to like, say oh, a number. Halo's cool. Yeah, we're looking for one number. Uh, infinite. 84. <laughs> 84? All right. Something like that, yeah. All right, there it is. Jeff, I'll do flat 80. Flat 80! Um... I'm still amazed uh, that Gareth Coker, uh, one of the co-composers who composed Ori and stuff like that, he was on our podcast, Crossfader, music podcast hosted by Matt Helgeson. 
Um, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast app. But uh, he talked about actually composing Halo Infinite on that podcast, which I think is the first time he's ever really talked about it. And it's kind of the pressure mm. of living up to Marty O'Donnell's music and the series music going before him and stuff. And he had some interesting philosophy of like what makes Halo music, specifically Halo combat music, and what separates it from Doom combat music. And it's, it's interesting. Listen, so check it's that drums. out. It's percussion. The answer was drums <laughs> the whole time, yeah. <laughs> also on the Halo note, um, some more stuff has been trickling out about the Halo TV show, which... They announced in 2013 uh, and is not coming out until 2022, but now it is no longer a Showtime show. The big Halo TV show is on everybody's favorite streaming platform, Paramount+. Quibbly, Plus. Quibbly oh. I meant to say. <laughs> uh, yeah, Paramount+, Plus is the new home for the Halo TV show. And this thing, Kyle, like the world of live-action Halo is a roller coaster ride. And I'm curious, where's your excitement at for the Halo TV show these days? It's for it's pretty low, man. Yeah, it's that. I mean, I like when they like I don't know what two thousand six seven. I was really intrigued by that idea. I think Spielberg was involved at that point. He still is. He's still uh, producing the the show. Oh, is he? okay. Mm-hmm. And then uh, there was the District Nine, the Blomkamp stuff, which yeah. I was like, that could be cool. But at this point, I mean, like my sort of interest in that universe has waned a lot. In turn, and that's that's the thing that would pull you into the show is like, do I want to know more about that world? At this point, when it comes to Halo, I want to I want to play it. I'm not as invested take. in the fiction of Halo. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So, so Kiki, it's, it's pretty low, but you know, like I would I would love to sort of it to come out and be like, this thing is really special, and you should check it out. Yeah. So Kiki Wolfkill, a producer over there at uh, 343, and one of the best names in the industry, probably number one at this point. Um, but she was, uh, did a quick interview where she talked about the show and she compared it to game of Thrones where she's like, yeah, you know, the game is great for certain things, but with the show, we can kind of expand on the world and make it all still canonical. And she said that it's going to be much more political. It's going to focus on the politics of the halo universe surrounding master chief and also have plenty of action with master chief in there, you know? Um, so it's it's an odd one, and definitely um, it has potential. I mean, it's right. an interesting sci-fi world. I just I just don't know how it, you know excited I am to peek into it closer. You know, yeah, it's going to be fun to see how Paramount Plus is trying to position it as like this is our show. This is our you know Star Trek Discovery was to you know cbs all access we're trying to go all in and try and bring people in with this is like the big well, it's, action it's a show. bad analogy hansen because cb all cbs all access like got absorbed into paramount i know so it's, it's like, you get the idea okay. though they need okay. their flagship <laughs> show and so they're hoping that halo can be it but um the star mr master chief himself in this show pablo schreiber um he tweeted recently and believe it or not halo fans not like this because somebody asked him if he was going to be like doing an impersonation of master chief's voice from the games and he said i don't do impressions i play characters (laughs) while everyone knows the master chief this show is an opportunity for all of us to get to know john thank you for your kind words we're all working incredibly hard to bring something to the screen that everyone can get behind but believe it or not a lot of people were like just do the voice and shut up you actor jesus you know, it's funny because I would, I would normal, I would like usually be on his side. It's like, yeah, you know, you're don't, don't, you know, look to the past, do something with it that you, so that you can take claim over it. Yeah. But then yeah. Henry Cavill and Game of Thrones just did the impression, and it was like, that was really good. Wait, <laughs> like, you that mean, worked for that show. You, you mean know? Witcher? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm, I, yeah, I meant to say Witcher. I said Game of Thrones, didn't I? Right. But yeah, he just like he just basically just tried to emulate that voice, and it's like, yeah, that. 
that works. <laughs> Do that. <laughs> Just have a deep voice, we'll assume. Yeah, it, it can be close enough. <laughs> yeah, it is weird to go back through the history of like the live action Halo stuff where, yeah, Neil Blomkamp, Mr. District 9, was working on it with Peter Jackson producing it for a while there. And then that script was written by Alex Garland, who, you know, made Annihilation and Devs, a TV show not too long ago. But then there was that somewhere in that process, there was the Del Toro Halo movie. And somebody mm. at Bungie was talking not too long ago, um, and he said, quote, Master Chief had a twin brother in the Del Toro movie, and the twin brother sided with the Flood, and then the end of the movie was going to be brother against brother. Why would he side with the Flood? <laughs> you know, I actually think all life should be exterminated. That's, I, yeah. I mean, maybe the Covenant, but yeah, not the Flood. Hear them, <laughs> yeah, they, someone, the, the guys, when you more. shoot them, they explode, hear them out. <laughs> 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 Who knows? But yeah, the thing's not coming until 2022. But they do have Jen Taylor as Cortana in the TV show, so, you know. That's cool. Eh, not for the fans. Not for the fans. Um, Serial, you were playing an RPG that you wanted to talk about called Everhood? Yeah, well, it's not... I wouldn't even call it an RPG. Oh. It's, it's, it's structured like one, but there's no level up. You never get stronger or anything like that. It's, it's sort of like an adventure game, um, but it's... It, I think the... The structure of it is more like Undertale, where it's, you know, you're kind of walking through these very, like, quirky environments and stuff. And it has some elements of, if you've ever heard of uh, Yume Nikki, which -hmm. is, like, an indie horror game from a long time ago, where basically, like, you end up in a hub area and you're kind of going off into different doors and they're all kind of self-contained areas. Um, But, like, the the kind of the the more, like, immediately interesting thing is that the battle system is very different from anything i've seen uh in that it is it is sort of like a mix of guitar hero and Mega Man battle network what where so if you imagine the lane highway of a guitar hero right there's like five lanes and notes come down but you're a character on it you're kind of moving into each lane so the idea is that the the enemies are like throwing a bunch of notes at you and you're kind of dodging out of the way of them um and you can do like flips where you can jump like there's certain flat notes that you can jump over there are certain wall notes that you can like that you have to avoid and things like that uh and it's like they do a pretty good job of like varying it up with like the the different rhythms and and like the way they kind of start messing around with like the environments and stuff to make it interesting and it's like super hard uh it it, it is one of those like almost bullet hellish kind of games yeah i i had to drop it down to easy i don't know about you yeah i do think it does a pretty good job with the difficulty because it doesn't really change the notes so like if in guitar hero if you switch it to easy it's like one note every like second or so instead of like you know 500 uh but here they they kind of just give you more leeway where you take less damage when you get hit by notes and you recover health more quickly and so you kind of get to see the actual fret patterns and stuff but you don't get to like you don't die instantly so i think it, it does a pretty good job of like make making that difficulty pretty accessible yeah Uh, and it's and it's like super trippy yeah super trippy yeah it's i i finished it yesterday and i'm not entirely sure like i think i have an like an overall understanding of what it's trying to get across but there are a lot of specifics that i'm super unclear about uh, which is why I'd be interested in seeing more people finish it just to see what they're talking about. Do you, I mean, you love Undertale so much. It, does it feel like, yeah, I feel like Undertale, you should check out Everhood, or is it more on the bubble than that? I think you should. I think it feels like it is, 
I, I would hesitate to say that it is directly responding to some of the stuff in Undertale, but it to me, like my read on it is very much that it is going down a specific thread that Undertale was pulling at in a very different way. It's saying like, well, what if we, you know, kind of took the like a different approach to this same conclusion without, it's hard to talk about it without spoilers, but there's also a lot of like very existentialist language, a lot of like, why are we here? Or like, what is life or whatever? Uh-huh. Cause like, if you look at it uh, on steam, like the, the full kind of title is like everhood and ineffable tale of inexpressible divine moments of truth. Yep. Okay. Um, so it's very, it has this very psychedelic backdrop and it kind of makes good on that throughout of like oh here's the you know the the visuals are going to get trippy and we're going to you know talk very uh kind of like what is life kind of stuff and that stuff is interesting but yeah i think the music i don't think i think it's really good it it hasn't stuck with me i think the way some of undertale's songs like you don't see a lot of motifs the way i think toby fox is really good at implementing okay but there are there are some songs that i think are legitimately great in there so like yeah it's 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 not super long it's like I think it took me like 10 hours and that was because I, I stuck to hard for as long as I could. Um, <laughs> but if you, if you go down to normal and, and whatever it's, I think it'll probably go by more quickly. So, and there's a ton of like hidden achievements. I still have like 40 achievements I haven't gotten. So there's secrets and stuff to get as well. So yeah. Yeah. Sweet. That's- so you're, you're obviously you've finished it. I've, I played yeah. like the first hour or so. Like I think yeah. I got to that set of doors you're talking about, but the weird, the thing to me that, I had never really considered that, and may, and you could totally disagree with me on this, serial, is that, like, to me, it kind of feels like it's approaching uh, Undertale as if the game Undertale were a genre, you know? Like, Undertale, to yeah. me, was such a unique experience. It's weird to play this game that, like, at least visually, and as a unique fighting system, it just, it's like, I never thought of Undertale as being something that could be recreated by a from a different set of eyes like it's 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 weird in that way because it really feels like undertale at least in the first hour even just the way you move around and like the sort of sparse setting the sparse sort of design of the world and like the first place you enter has like five characters and they all are completely unique and strange and say funny things like it's it's odd yeah. in that way. Yeah, you know? and, I, and and that's part of why I think it, to me, it feels like it is in conversation with that game of just like, okay, well. Oh, it definitely like is. Like, yeah. you, you, the player, having played Undertale, like, well, what if we did this instead, right? Like, it feels very much like a game that you should maybe play Undertale before you play it, even though I think the developers would say, like, ah, oh, we're just kind of trying to do our own thing. I think it's more interesting if you go into it with that, with that knowledge of having played Undertale already. Yeah. Everhood is the name of that game. Just on Steam, or where is it at? I think it's also on Switch. Okay, sweet. The old one-two punch. Um, Kyle, I'm very curious about this next game. Pixel Junk Raiders. Uh, it is from Q Games, the long line of Pixel Junk games, obviously. And I mean, those folks going back with Cuthbert even to original Star Fox, they have a fun, fascinating history. Um, this game is a Stadia exclusive. There is a chance yeah. it'll be the biggest Stadia exclusive ever released. <laughs> what about guilt what about guilt guilt is or, out there like guilt yep. i like and the harmonics also, game i don't think they've given an update about whether or not it's alive or dead i hope it's doing all right there are actually like three or four other exclusives which i totally like because that's what i thought too my reaction was like oh there's guilt and now this but then i i, I think we you and i were in a tweet tweet thread or something and, and people threw out like four or five other games that well, were there's like orcs must die three like, oh. yeah which orcs it, must die three and then there's also that creation game right Oh, I don't know that one. 
create or something. I forget okay. what it was. I forget what it's called. But, but it's a bad sign, uh, I think, yeah. for Stadia where I was talking to you in Slack about like, oh, I'm really curious about Pixel Junk Raiders. You know, are you able to check that out? And you pointed out like, you're, you know, you can just buy the game yourself and play it. Like Stadia <laughs> is just right there. It's a tab yeah, away for any hardware. Yeah. I still get confused that like, oh yeah, that's right. We can just go play Stadia games if we really wanted to. But based on, you know, the Twitch streams numbers, it seems like not many people are playing Pixel Junk Raider. So I was trying to just watch some gameplay of it. And it's like, well, we got a couple of old archived Spanish streams. And that's about the pick of the litter that we can get on Twitch. So you haven't, you haven't touched it? I haven't touched haven't it. Yeah. It? How much have you played okay. it? Because... Uh, just like 30, 40 minutes or so, like not a lot. It's, um, I mean, what you can do, hot tip here, is you can just sign up for Stadia Pro for a month for 10 bucks, and then you can play it, and then you can play a million other Stadia things too because they're like, it's like a pro game, you know? Yeah. Or you can buy it for $20. But, I mean, it's it didn't like grab me in a big way. Like I do want to check it out more i want to keep playing it because it is such a unique thing where it's like the stadia exclusive but it's like it's it's the visuals are really cool it's really colorful basically it's a third person shooter and you kind of you're like the idea is like you're you know this like freelancer helping out alien planets who are in need of of assistance and you basically drop into like a large area and save as many people as you can and then you leave and then you go back to a you know a slightly different area and save as many people as you can and then you leave and it's, uh, I mean, it looks really cool. It's really colorful. Pixel Junk has like a great style in general. And uh, it does have this cool thing that I love where you can just like take a flying leap that sends you like all the way across the map whenever you want. You just like hold down the right thumbstick and point the direction where you want to go. And it just like flings you off into the distance, which is a lot of fun. But then the combat is pretty, you know, you just kind of bash aliens with a stick and then you find the, the people that need saving and you go talk to them. And it's like, it doesn't feel super deep. You know, there's some RPG elements you can level up. You can sort of go down different branches if you want to focus or focus on this. But, uh, I mean, it doesn't seem particularly deep in terms of story or world building. You know, it's just this yeah. sort of colorful melee game. It kind of looks like the maybe some of the tech or lessons, at least from Q Games, is Tomorrow Children, that PlayStation exclusive, which yeah, I think maybe. now is also shut down. I mean, it but... does. It looks a lot different from Tomorrow Children. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it looks closer to like Jet Grind Radio or something like that, you know? It's so strange. Yeah, the reviews haven't been great about it, but I just... Q Games is one of those studios that I'm really rooting for. Like even Pixel Junk yeah. Eden 2, which came out in December. Like I remember that first Pixel Junk Eden to be like this cool indie darling back on the PS3. And I just feel like no one talked about Pixel Junk Eden 2. And it's kind of a bummer, yeah. but I played it a bit and I was like, that's right. I like Pixel, Pixel Junk Eden, but there's a couple... It could be smoothed out in a couple small I ways. Mean, I really like the look of Pixel Junk. I'm always rooting for them, but they, the only game they've released that I really loved was Pixel Junk Shooter. Yeah, that was great. Which was kind of like a, it was more of a straight on like action game. And everything else, I kind of have that Pixel Junk eating reaction where I'm kind of like, oh, this looks cool, but it's like, eh, I don't know if I'm really getting sucked in here. You right, know? right. So, but I, like, I'm weirdly still rooting for Stadia. I like the idea that they like have these handful of exclusives. I mean, that's what it's going to take for people to take a look at Stadia is like, an interesting game that you can only play on Stadia. Right. You know, fingers. And crossed. I like guilt. I would recommend guilt if you like, you know, games like little nightmares and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't think this one's going to be the one to really attract a lot of people to Stadia, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, I'm blink twice. If you're going to be checking out pixel trunk Raiders on Stadia. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> All right. Uh, Kyle, thanks for being here. We got to make room for Mr. Vader. Would you mind clapping out? 
Yeah. I will. I was trying to think if there's any last second things I wanted to mention. I don't think so. I've been playing <laughs> Carol Blaster. Oh, that game was cool. Remember that game? Yeah, from the Cave Story sale developer. On Switch. I'm finally going to beat it. I'm excited about that. Nice. All right, I'm going to clap now. Okay, bye. Leo Vader, welcome to the podcast, man. Oh, thanks. Oh, how you doing? Really great. Happy to be on here here on the podcast. Oh, good. Uh, people watching us live at the Backstage Pass tier, uh, they were saying that they really enjoyed your stream of Hitman 3 with Dan Reichert last night. Thank you. Yeah, I feel like we went out with the best segment of the whole thing so far. What was so it? I was very happy with that. I mean, it was just Dan's challenge for me was just so... The perfect level of difficulty where it was tense, but doable but people have to watch to see what happened oh my god uh and that's the last one for man 3 then yes sweet yes we'll probably stream again together in the future but it'll be a little something else yeah so you guys like went back and forth giving each other challenges and stuff and we have all those archived on our youtube channels you can check those out it's a, it's a fun chill stream um so i mwah, mwah, i have been loving uh this game called loop hero to the point that we put it in the running for New Show Plus. Like, hey, we could bring back Great Goatee Hunt and uh, play Loop Hero. And then I had Leo and Jeffum play it for the Great Goatee Hunt. And I, like, skimmed through the archive a little bit. And I was so petrified, like, oh, no, am I nuts? Am I enjoying this a lot more than everybody else? Jeffum, please, what do you think about the... Well, I guess we should describe it. So Loop Hero is a rogue light deck-building idolish game which sounds like a lot of subpar ingredients uh from my perspective <laughs> but i love the way it all comes together and it just feels like <laughs> such an incredibly solid piece of game design that i haven't encountered before but okay jeff um, what is your take on loop hero you disgust me yep, sir yep that's fair <laughs> okay i uh, know i so i i played a little before i played it with leo on the great Goaty hunt new show plus extravaganza yeah um, i liked it when i played it i felt a little cooler on it when me and leo were going through it uh but then i played some more of it after that and i got back into it so i don't know if leo has a cooling effect on it mm -hmm. or <laughs> i i think it's i think it's just not not a great game to stream i think i, I think you know you're kind of in a different mindset when you're streaming games and you can't really you can't really get really into the numbers and the weeds of what's going on in that game. I think uh, you're sure. totally right. I think that's the correct read. I mean, it is probably going to be the podcast game of the year. Valheim is certainly could be up there as well, but that's like too co-op focused. But if you're just looking for that game that you can just listen to podcasts to, and at a certain level, it just feels like streamlined auto diablo if you like seeing numbers go up and then checking and seeing new equipment and oh this number is this way i can change this build this way i think loop hero on steam is a contender for you but yeah leo i'm curious what you thought of it yeah well you know we like to keep it positive here and i yeah. wouldn't bring anyone else down for liking something but at the same time more like poop hero more like it that's surreal. Oh, your thoughts? I, I would have done a spit take on, on that, but I don't want to ruin my computer. But. I'm going to have to take what you said and think about it. I think that's that's a salient point. Um, I did not realize that those two words rhymed. So I think <laughs> right. I uh, it's hard to argue with that. I'll, I'll give that like a seven out of 10 because you could have just said poop zero. And that mm. would have been a double 
double whammy. Mm-hmm. True. Two-fisted punch. Um, it's pretty all right. I, it's, I'm not really into the auto-battleness of it. It's a little idly right. for me. Gives me a lot of time to think about the chores I'm putting off. Yeah, Hanson, <laughs> you, you still have not... You did not do a good job of explaining what the heck's going on in that game. So the way this game works, it uh, it looks has a very very retro style to it, and how it works is there is a loop, and you're a hero on a loop. Your character marches around this different shaped loop, uh, encountering okay. enemies, and the enemies largely are getting there because of cards that are dealt out to you and it's like okay this card's the skeleton card if i place this here a skeleton will pop up at this part of the loop so you're creating your own obstacles for the name of resources and new inventory and new equipment and so as you're going around this uh, loop you're getting into these what look like you know turn-based rpg battles but it's all automated and they fly by pretty quickly here and so you're going around the loop getting more equipment getting better and better and better uh it's changing in an interesting way and at the same time you're getting cards that can affect your stats and that is in the form of like the geography around the loop where it's like okay i have mountain cards every mountain i place that's next to another mountain tile that'll give me plus two hp and then i can have these meadows over here to give me more healing so you're like building up this world with each loop and then the core is you can choose to you basically press your luck. You can keep going until you fight a boss who's going to be really hard, at least out of the gate, for the first world even. Um, or you can choose to head back to your town where you take all those resources and then build up your town to get better and stronger, get new items to then go back into it. So it kind of has that split kind of XCOM level, right? Where it's like, okay, we're building up our base, getting more resources, then going back on the mission. But in this case, the mission is watching your character go around a loop and getting better better things and checking inventory and stats and equipment and all that fun stuff is that it jeffum yeah that's that's better you yeah you're kind of you're building out the map each card is is like a location and you're choosing where that location goes and so you're building cemeteries and swamps and things like that the one thing that the one well kind of two problems that i have with it and one that me and Leo talked a lot about is that there are there are certain bonuses with locations that you will get for building them next to other locations. Yeah. But the game just does not tell you those. You're right. just supposed to kind of discover them on your own and then just remember them permanently. And and that to me is just super frustrating. And it doesn't it, it doesn't really fill me with the sense of like, ooh, I want to experiment by, okay, now I'll put a stone next to a meadow, and then next time I'm going to put it next to this treasure. Is that going to do anything? No, it doesn't. Well, now I have these things next to each other, and I'm not getting any kind of real bonus. I knew I would have gotten one if I put it next to a mountain, but I forewent that in order to, you know, kind of try and figure out these hidden things. And that that to me isn't super satisfying. I'd rather just have each card tell me exactly what I could do in and what I could get out of it. Yeah, I think it'd be too I much almost, fine print, I guess. I wouldn't even have a problem with it if it added it to the card text or something, because it says, you know, we put this rock next to another rock to get a better right. bonus. And if you've you discovered, you know, other stuff you could do with rocks and it just populated that yeah. field, that would feel better to me than this, which just feels like I'm angry when I discover one. It's like, how was I supposed to know that? You're yeah. angry at the sense of discovery. I see. Serial, can you back right. me up at all if you played this thing? Uh, I haven't. I've watched. I I watched you guys play it. Um, and it didn't. I mean, is this just a hundred percent a podcast game? Is there any kind of like narrative conceit or like what is? What are there are things between runs that you're kind of getting done? 
they, yeah. they they put a they put more into the narrative than you would think because they they have kind of built up it's almost like never ending story of like the world has disappeared and you're the only one left on this little loop and you are kind of remember as you're remembering things they're being added back to the world so that's why you're getting these different cards and that's how you're kind of building out the camp and stuff so they put more into the story than you might expect and each time a new enemy type shows up you'll have a little dialogue with the two characters kind of and you're you're trying to reason with them of like I know you're a harpy and you eat people, but if you don't attack me now and I, you know, repopulate the world, then you can hunt all you want. And it, they've they've put more effort into that than you might imagine. Yeah, okay. but I can't say the story is the main hook. It is just no. watching numbers go up. But that makes it seem like it's just that one of those run-of-the-mill idle games. I do think yeah, that it is a very satisfying not- loop. Yeah, it's it's not it's not you know like a cookie clicker. There's right. there's more strategy to it, and and more goes into actually building out your character. the The second kind of criticism that I have of it, though, is that it it feels a little wonky in that you are you're putting out cards that will spawn enemies so that you can fight the enemies, but at at a certain point, those enemies are also like it it it's it's kind of an a war of contrition where it's like everything is kind of grinding you down as you're going. And, and so the stuff that you're putting out is making it harder, but you also, you, you want to do that so that you are leveling up, but then it, there's like the, a weird balance to it that I haven't quite understood yet. It's a unique and, and so groove. Like, yeah. And so as, you know, like as a loop progresses, it's like, well, I keep on getting these vampire mansions and I don't want any more vampires out there because they're going to, they're going to kick my ass and I'm going to end up losing. But if I'm not progressing enough, then I'm going to kind of, because every time you do a full loop, all the enemies get harder. And so, and so it's like, I'm slowly falling behind on this, but at the same time, I can't fight anything harder than what I'm already fight. Like, I don't want to add any more enemies. So there's there's a little wonkiness to it, but I, I imagine once you kind of figure it out and if you get a good flow of, you know, like the right equipment and stuff, you can kind of overcome that. But it's it's it feels a little counterintuitive, but not not in a way that the design is broken or anything. I think you yeah. just have to kind of figure that out. Yeah, I'm so fascinated by just the overall design. At times it feels like a tabletop game. I think that's just largely like placing those tiles, you know, to get the boost and stuff like that. But what I keep thinking about is just with the visuals of this game, it kind of, I don't even know, early 90s, late 80s PC game, I guess would be the best way to describe what this thing looks like. But I always just think like, this design could have been on like the Apple II and it wouldn't have looked that different. Like if this game had released then, would this just be one of the all-time great franchises, like one of the most beloved games? Am I nuts? Do you think, Leo? Yeah, probably. So you're I saying it's one of the all-time greats? The world wasn't ready for an idle game back then. They thought they wanted to play games. Right, you're right. idiots. Yeah. Fools. Your kids would love it. Yeah. Anyways, that's Loop Hero. Uh, it's on Steam. It's 15 bucks. Uh, I really love it. I'm looking forward to seeing how it evolves. Like, everyone's trying to see a screenshot or a stream of just, like, some later game stuff where, like, the building seems so much more complicated and things are interconnecting in really wild ways. So check it out. And it's it's a tough game to describe. It's a tough game to look at. But once you get in the groove of playing it, it's really satisfying. All right. Jeff, do you know how this whole thing operates? 
That would be Patreon, sir. That's right. Patreon.com slash minmax with two ends. You support us at any tier. You can compete in video game trivia. If you're missing bar trivia and you want to compete with some friendly folks in a friendly game to get some game codes or an Astro A50 headset, uh, you can support us at any tier on Patreon and compete in Trivia Tower. It'll be a fun time. And like bar trivia, what, you got the French fries? That's that's like, what, five bucks if you're lucky? You got some beer? What, the way cereal drinks, that's a that's like $14. Look at $2 you can jump in and compete in a fun, rain, fun round of Trivia Tower. So we'd love to see you jump in there. And Have thank you ever you. won a video game from Bar Trivia either? Exactly. Yeah. Let's get something mm-hmm. we need, not a gift certificate to come back to this stinky bar. Anyways, uh, thank you to MinMax's uh, big supporters like Will Cornelius. Uh, he wants everybody to know that if you own an Android or Tizen OS smartwatch, you're looking for a unique watch face with a retro sci-fi or futuristic design, you can download the Facer app to your smartphone and check out the creator Cyberpunk. There's over 100 original watch faces to choose from, including neon and metallic backgrounds, unconventional time and day displays, dynamic battery life and stat tracking, new series, based, a new series of faces based on Dune's great houses. They have free and premium faces available for $4.99 per month. So check out the Facer app and the creator Cyberpunk. Thank you for your support, Will Cornelius. Also, thank you as always to I Am 8-Bit, who wants everybody to know that in the I Am 8-Bit online store, the wonderful online store, you can get a double vinyl of the Blazeball soundtrack. Blazeball, the bizarre community-fueled surreal baseball experience that Ana Diaz had an episode of Refreshed all about a couple months back, but you can get that double vinyl soundtrack, and it includes a mystery vintage-style trading card. Wax packs of five cards available. The wax packs contain official Blaseball team cards licensed by the game band, the game's developers. So, uh, believe it or not, Blaseball is getting weirder because now they have uh, trading cards. Um, and you can use the promo code SPRINGFORWARD, all one word, SPRINGFORWARD on IM8Bit's online store and get 10% off everything under $100. So, get something, use the promo code SPRINGFORWARD as a nice way of thanking them for the way that IM8Bit supports us and our community. Specifically, they're very generous with the community because every week they ship out a grand prize to the question of the week. This week it is the Watam Double Vinyl Soundtrack. Uh, So whoever has our favorite question submitted over on Patreon will win the Watam Double Album Vinyl Soundtrack. Are you ready for these community questions? Bring them. Leo, you hoping for anything in particular with these community questions? You feeling a vibe? What are you you digging? I am hoping for a fun game. Mm, okay. Well, how about this for a game, Leo? Steven Lamson just has a simple question. What do you call this game where it's like this? Sorry, audio listeners, but Leo will explain in a second. What is that called, Leo? Rock, paper, scissors to me. Does everybody agree that's what that's called? I mean, it's also called Rochambeau, right? Right. Rochambeau. Yeah, Steven Lamson writes and he says, please settle something for me. Is it paper, rock, scissors or rock, paper, scissors? There's no debate, rock, right? Paper, is this a Minnesota thing? Do some people say paper, rock, scissors? Well, it makes more sense because that's the order of attack. Paper over rock, rock over scissors, and then loop, scissors over paper versus uh, rock over it, paper. And then, yeah, I rock, guess paper, scissors makes less sense as a name, but it's what I've always called it. Yeah, I'm not sure what the organizational principle, because it's like if you went alphabetic, it would be rock, scissors, paper, which sounds the worst of them all. Uh, so I don't know who, like, how rock, paper, scissors was the one that stuck. 
Yeah, I think it works. Paper, out. rock, scissors might be an across the pond thing, like how their month and day are backwards in their dates. Mm. Yeah, yeah, they actually call everything. paper aluminium there. Yeah. <laughs> right. Eric Holmes writes in. And it beats rock. <laughs> <laughs> Eric Holmes asks, what's the good word, Ben Max? I don't know. Uh, he said, we're at one year since the lockdown began, and it has me wondering, will the gaming industry ever go back to normal, or has COVID started a completely new era and has changed everything permanently? For instance, will we ever see huge press conferences with live audiences ever again? Do you think that working from home is here to stay for some major studios now that they've had time to figure out how to make it work? Is there going to be an influx of new gamers that discovered it as a quarantine hobby, and how will they affect what types of games we'll see? Big question. Jeff, um, will the game industry ever, quote, go back to normal? Uh, for the... No. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> uh, I, I think... Working from home just totally makes sense for developers. I think they've, as soon as they saw that, like, hey, we don't have to have a giant office with hundreds of people working in here. They can, they can just supply their own, you know, internet and heat and whatever else. Then that's way easier. And they can also live wherever they need to live and not just in San Francisco or whatever. That I think those are all pluses for developers. And the the convention thing, I really I really wonder about. I think yeah. we're it's we're like on the cusp where vaccines are coming out now, and I think people are finally going to be able to start you know seeing their families again and going to restaurants and stuff. But even as I I'm I can I can be in the mindset where it's like yeah I I think I would be comfortable with that. I don't know that I would be comfortable you know like shoulder to shoulder with a thousand people in a sweaty convention hall again. I don't, I don't know when that's going to happen. And the, the way that everything was trending, at least with E3 specifically, like E3 was kind of already on shaky ground to begin with. And I mm-hmm. don't know how many developers are going to want to jump back into that too. If, if they can put out, they can live stream on YouTube, you know, one random day out of the summer and still get a bunch of eyes and a bunch of news stories out of that. I'm, I don't know how fast people are going to be going back to conventions. Yeah, they said what E3 is planning on doing a series of live streams this year, but they also confirmed there's not going to be anything physical happening at the convention center. Um, yeah, I, conventions, I, I, I'm totally with you where it's the idea of going to a big convention scares me. Uh, even in the future, I think I'm going to have this weird instinct that I have to work through. And I think I'm going to be wearing a mask in the future for a while, especially like if I'm feeling sick, I hope that that kind of normalization hits the States in the way yeah. that it's just so common, you know, in Japan, it's a nice courteous thing to do. And I think there's gonna be a lot of situations where it's like, I'll just feel more comfortable wearing a mask here. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that maybe what we end up seeing is that fewer things like E3, like old E3 where, well, you, you have to come here because this is where you're going to make connections because we have to meet in person. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think you could totally see the return of things like packs, things like, you know, things where it's like the whole point is for people to come together and like, you know, meet each other physically. I think though those will quote unquote return to normal, I think to a higher degree than something like, well, we got to go to GDC because uh, mm-hmm. that's how we've always done it because it's like, how else are you going to do it, right? In yeah. cases where they've proven that we can't do it without physical contact, then I think they're going to stick to that or have, have, you know, if they have an, in a meat space version that they're going to have a lot of more venues for online versions for people to attend. Yeah, Leo, like a little over a year from now, a year and a half from now, can we still send you to E3 2022 for your first E3? <laughs> <laughs> no 
Don't if there's bother. one barometer to judge by, it's would Leo be able to go to E3? You know, what will the universe do to make that not happen? Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, we don't. So want to if it's the year where I could go, there's going to be another reason why it doesn't happen. Yeah. Mm. Oh, lightning hit my foot. Just the foot. For example. <laughs> right. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a tough one. Even like, I'm curious about late night shows. Like, I always think about like John Oliver. Like, is he ever going to go back to a studio audience? At this point, do they really need to? Like, with that show in particular, it's like I think it's just cleaner and better without this laughter interrupting all the time. Pausing for applause breaks. I right. don't miss that at all. Yeah, exactly. Show. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, maybe some will come back. It'll be interesting to see which ones feel like they need that energy and which ones don't. Uh, Jason Kelly says, is 2021 the year for old video games? Hell yes, it is. Uh, he says, with the combination of COVID still being a problem and the gigantic semiconductor shortage worldwide, new consoles and GPUs are next to impossible to get your hands on. God knows I've tried. Um, and it seems like we've passed the point where the games that were almost finished being developed have come out. All those factors combined could be the perfect storm to be one of the slowest new game years for a very long time. So are we all going back to old games this year? You know how we were always talking, ah, you know, someday we'll have time to do this. And, you know, I'll go back to that at some point. This is some point, you know, I think I've yeah. been, I've, you know, like I've been playing uh, more Dota and I've been, I actually finished Paper Mario of all things. Uh, Wait, the original? I, yeah. Uh, and I, I got through it. I really enjoyed it. But it was this weird thing of like, I felt kind of guilty playing it because it's like, ah, I could be playing any number of new things. But like, not, none of those games are, are really kind of latching on. You know, like Everhood's been like the first big release that I've been really into uh, in, a, in a little while. Um, but it, it, has, it did feel good to like finally kind of make progress on that backlog. Yeah. Uh, what stood out the most about Paper Mario, the original? Uh I, I, you can definitely be really nostalgic for it. I think I, it, it has a lot of like really strong writing and and some clever moments. But I, I do think that even playing that first game, I was like, I could see why, you know, several entries in, they felt the need to kind of diverge here. Really? Yeah, because I think there are things about that combat that end up being very, not grindy, but like the same. It was funny because the same issue that I saw with. Origami King where it's like, oh, sometimes you just don't want to fight people. But that mm-hmm. ends up happening in the original Paper Mario because at some point they lower the amount of experience you get per enemy to the point where you don't get anything at all. So it's weird how like they found different ways to end up having the same problem where it's just like, I really don't want to fight, you know, 30 more shy guys at this point. I'm just not into it. Um, but yeah, th- those games are still like really clever. Like it's so weird how s- the simple mechanic of like hold back and-, and then let it go to, you know, bring your hammer down. Like that stuff is still really good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely going to be a slow year. I mean, you know, with it was interesting seeing that, you know, EA with the cancellation of future Anthem development said, eh, hey, COVID's rough. And you, know, you never know how much of that is them just using code like COVID is a little bit of a couch to kind of excuse like, eh, it just doesn't make sense business wise, but I'm sure it's out there where like a lot of these bigger games, if they weren't already over the 50% mark are going to be really struggling to release this year. The fact that Ragnarok hasn't been reconfirmed for this year yet probably means that's getting pushed. I'm curious how many other ones like Gran Turismo 7 obviously got pushed out of this year. Um, so it could be like the second half of this year in particular, it could be a great time to go back for those older games. Yeah. I also, I also wonder if to some degree, if people aren't more comfortable with like shorter lead times on games, 
where they're like, well, like GoVid is kind of like giving us the reprieve to announce whenever. And then at some point release, you know, like people are kind of really accepting of that stuff now of not announcing release dates. But I wonder if going forward, you know, we don't see as many like, well, it's coming out someday and that sticks around for three years and then they release it. Yeah. 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 I I was also going to say that 2021 might be the year of indie games too, because, you know, like Loop Hero and Valheim and those kind of things, like if you're, if you're a much smaller team or you're a one person thing, then COVID's kind of great for your development because you're, at home all the time anyway and you're not you know trying to coordinate with a bunch of other people and having publishing deals and working out all that kind of stuff so this could be the year another great year for indie games to totally blow up because people aren't don't have the larger games to play anyway and i'm i would guess at least that smaller indie teams aren't being as affected as badly as you know the large triple a games yeah yeah uh ricky winterborn is wondering, if you could choose a game to inhabit every night in your dreams, what would it be? It'll be every single night for the rest of your life, though. <laughs> he says, GTA is uh, an easy answer, path. but remember that a 12-year-old will be trying to murder you, so you can't do that. Hmm. I could take him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> those food levels from Super Mario games, where it's all just oh. like giant cookies and stuff, that'd be nice. Especially since you would also get a little bit of a exercise from because all the platforms are always moving. So you have, if you want that a specific wafer cookie, you're gonna have to jump through a bunch of holes to do it. Mm, then you're gonna wake up so hungry every single morning, and your legs will be so tired from doing the little running and air. And you'll yeah, have the athletic theme stuck in your head all day, every day. Yeah, the the whatever mechanism prevents me from moving my limbs when I'm sleeping doesn't happen for me. So it's like a, it's like I'm a dog, you know, I'm just paddling in the air mm-hmm. the whole time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is it's a tough. problem. I mean, you'd want to go something without a soundtrack because you don't want to hear the same song every day. And if you're in a game world, it's unclear if the characters in the world can hear the music. I think most of them can. Um, Usually I've headphones in playing the OST. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, Well, we know that in Chrono Trigger, remember that moment in Chrono Trigger where Dalton says like, stop the music. It's like that weird moment of look like, wait, they can hear the music? It's very fun. Um, my first instinct was to say, like, the best game world, which is Grim Fandango. But at the same time, like, that's a little bit spooky to live there. There's flying yeah, spiders and crap. Would you be the one normal guy, too? Uh, well, the normal people in the Grim Fandango world, have you ever seen them, Leo? Have you played well, that Yeah, game? I mean, are you, would you be in the real world in Grim Fandango when they go to the real world? Is that what you're thinking? Yeah, so it's like that <laughs> weird, like, magazine cutout, like, weird freaky look. Yeah, yeah, you don't want that. Yeah, that'd be the worst case scenario, I guess. So never mind. I don't know, Elder Scrolls or something. Just find a beautiful green <laughs> I, hill. I, 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 do like, I do like Star Stardew Valley or something. Just totally peaceful. You could just go to the spa one day if you didn't want to, you know, spend time in the farm or yeah. go fishing. Right. You just, got the variety. Just That's chill, man. That is good. Mm-hmm. That is good. Uh, Harlan Loxon writes in and says, with Microsoft uh, purchasing Bethesda, that's still finally going through, uh, the value for Game Pass is just incredible. Do you see them raising the price on their service due to all these now first-party games being included? No. Really? I could see, I could see them raising the price just to raise the price. But I, I don't think they would tie it specifically to like a, well, now we have Bethesda's games, therefore we can 
justify raising the price. Yeah, it'll be part of the, like a general price increase. Maybe you know if they end up getting enough flack for, well, I don't, I'm not sure at this point why like you're not just bundling it, it with gold all the time and they just kind of turn it into one service. It's like you know maybe thirty dollars a month for gold and Xbox Game Pass, but I don't think they're gonna. I don't think a company would ever announce because of this, we're raising the price of this one thing specifically. Right. I think, yeah. Go ahead. I think if you or I ran game pass, we certainly would, but people, a company like Microsoft is looking at this differently than we are. And I think they are not going to increase the price because they don't care what it costs. They want it to be something that everybody on the planet earth has and is in their ecosystem and they want to keep it at what seems like a good fair price but i don't think they're crunching the numbers and saying oh we need to make it more right now they have infinite money right it's kind of that larger theme which i've heard bubbling up more and more over the last year of just yeah uh the amount of money you're making of this game isn't as important as daily active users like even for these big AAA games, we just want to know that people are actually playing them. That is the the hot currency here, right? Yeah, and it, especially with them when they you know just tried to raise the price of gold and then they jumped off that so fast because right. of the backlash. You know, I don't think they're going to be chomping at the bit to do that with their with their big serve the important service that they have now. You know, I think mm-hmm. they're they're still in the in the mind frame of. Let's be the Netflix. Let's be, you know, the default thing that every single person who buys one of our of our consoles is going to be giving us this money every month. And yeah, Leo's right that it's probably, you know, an extra $5 or $10. And alienating people is not going to be worth it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They will eventually. They'll they'll yeah, pull the rug out at some point just like that darn Google Photos. And the fact they're like, oh, now you got to pay for all that storage. It's like, oh, great. Now that I'm pot committed with every memory from my life, Just, now you're, oh. Yeah, but anything that you have, anything that you have on there until June, it doesn't count against it anyway, Hanson. Yeah, I know, but I'm going to want to add new stuff to it well, after June. Just take all the photos that you're ever going to take now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so do you want to just pause real quick? Yeah. Okay. Do you want to like just make a nice smiley face? Okay, great. And going right up to Google Photos. Uh, Matt Lynch writes in and asks, is it possible to get good at strategy games or are you just born with good or bad strategy? I swear (laughs) I will never be good at them. (laughs) I think you're born with it. Yeah, and we all were. Ow. I was very much not. (laughs) What do you think, Jeff? Do you feel like you've actually gotten better at strategy games? Like you're able to sit down and really progress your overall skill at strategy in general yeah you i don't think anyone's born with strategy (laughs) i guess not but maybe it's just like what is it interest or something i feel like i'm very bad at strategy games even even if you're bad at it if you continue doing it you're gonna get better at it like if if you're not getting better at a certain game that's the fault of the game and it's too obtuse in terms of what it's teaching you but strategy is something that you should be able to learn and that every human is capable of learning. It's just, you know, like I, I can see if you sit down with like Civ six or whatever and you feel like you're not getting better. But that, you know, like the game has to do some of that heavy lifting in terms of explaining what its mechanisms are and how things work. And I think I think people can get better at them. OK, yeah. 
Yeah, I as long as you're mindful and like taking note of what you're being punished for and what you could have done differently. If you just keep, yeah, brute forcing it, you can definitely stay at the same level for a long time. Yeah. I mean, worst case scenario, you can just look at a, a YouTube video and see like how to get good at strategy games, <laughs> tips for... Yeah, I mean, there there are certainly like tons of YouTube channels devoted to specific games and strategies within them. I've, I've seen like yeah. the Civ, the Civ YouTube guys of like, check out this strategy. It's like, what the hell are you even, you're explaining how taxes work and all this kind of <laughs> stuff. It's like, uh, Michael Lynch writes in, he says, Hey, CLCs, I heard that Kyle played the Little Nightmares mobile app and that it was unexpectedly fun and story canon. Yeah, we talked about that on MinMax Council, our Patreon exclusive podcast. Um, he says, What's the most unusual content you've played or read that is canonically part of a larger story? Um... Mine kind of goes back to, we talked about it on The Deepest Dive, but I really loved reading all of those comics for The Thing because there were like just enough where you could read them all and they got weird, but it wasn't an overwhelming amount. And specifically, it was when they released The Thing prequel. This is for The Deepest Dive. We did on The Thing, every version of The Thing a while ago. But for The Thing prequel in 2011, um, they released a canonical comic book that I think you can still get digitally um, and it tells the story of like this Norwegian camp during the age of the Vikings and the thing tearing apart the camp. And it's just like this weird thing of like, wait, just cause it's like snow, they decided to set it within Norway in the Vikings time just to connect to the thing. It's a very surreal little story. I watched the Phantom Menace recently and that has the ETs <laughs> at the Senate meeting, which is one of my favorite Easter eggs ever. <laughs> And it's, yeah, it's can- canonical. You know, apparently E.T. was in the never-ending story, too, so I don't know how that that works. Really? Yeah, there, there's a scene within the Big Palace. I just watched the never-ending yeah, story, again, and I got the map. e-book, too, so oh take God. that. Uh, but but they have a big shot of, like, all the, you know, kingdom races or whatnot that have come to the, to the queen to figure out why everything's disappearing. And I, I guess a bunch of, like, Spielberg characters are in are hidden away in that too oh weird um does et have a name for his race et race name oh absolutely but this is maybe from star wars then (laughs) oh is anybody want to guess wild guess what et's race names are terrestrials reese (laughs) pcns The Asogians, of course. I wonder oh. if that carries forward into E.T. lore, if that's just the Star Wars version of the E.T. alien. Mm. Weird times. Um, Adam Walker writes in. Um, he says, first off, I just want to say, good job, Capcom. I'm so stoked for Monster Hunter Rise. 90% of my gaming time these past couple weeks has been Monster Hunter World with the MinMax community. It's been a blast, and I'm looking forward to starting over with the same and hopefully some new folks when Rise releases. There is a real groundswell of love for Monster Hunter Rise. I feel like that's one of those games that isn't on our radar enough for like, this is going to sell like hotcakes because everybody who loved World and everybody who owns a Switch is probably eager for a new experience here. Uh, And King Prometheus says the exact same thing. He just says he wants to share some praise for Capcom and the Monster Hunter team because they have been supporting World and Iceborne with just so many free updates, including one apparently that the community thought was coming 
and it wasn't planned, but then because Capcom saw that the community was expecting it, they created it and released this update for Iceborne. So anyways, King Prometheus uh, here says he's looking forward to finding some Elden new Ring, folks. they released it in They released Iceborne? it within Iceborne. Incredible. It's crazy. Although, like, now that I think about it, you could totally see them the way they've been adding, like, Geralt and, and uh, Street Fighter characters. They could totally start adding Nintendo stuff to Rise. Oh, my God. Ah. That is a really... Like, Pikmin... Oh, that'd be yeah, so fun. Zelda, yeah. Like you fight oh, a giant Pikmin? Well, no, you fight like the things that the Pikmin fight, right? Like just the big like uh, strawberry red eye thing. Um, anyways, yeah, King Prometheus says, I wanted to share some praise for Capcom's work and also plug the Monster Hunter channel in the Discord, the Minmex Discord. We've been playing a good bit of World recently and undoubtedly we'll be playing Rise when it comes out. If anyone is interested in finding others to play with, it's a good place. Thank you. Thank you, King Prometheus. Um, Hoots writes in, he says, my dudes, my <laughs> dudes... After watching the most recent Sakurai Presents, uh, starring Pura and Mithra from Smash Brothers, I was reminded once again that Super Smash Brothers uh, and all of the work that continues to go into the franchise is born out of a level of passion that I'm unfamiliar with. Anyway, what are the odds that this madman Sakurai will come out and announce a third Fighter's Pass before the end of the year? What do you think it'll take for Sakurai to walk away from his baby? P.S. Am I the only one who heard Sakurai say in that video that he keeps figurines of unrevealed fighters locked away in his desk drawer? Does he recall that his office is empty? No one is there to guard that drawer! He might as well have invited all of Japan to break into his office. We're all just one small criminal act away from finding out who the final two fighters are. <laughs> it's a good point. We don't condone it, but it is a solid point, Hoots. Um, what it'll take, Suriel? What it'll take for Sakurai to walk away? Well, I think they actually did. I want to say that there was a rumor going around that people data mined the current battle pass to say that there is some evidence of there being a third fighter's pass uh, in the code right now. But who knows if they, they just said, oh, just in case, do this, or if that is happening. But yeah, it doesn't seem like he's done. It, it is weird because like that has been what one season pass over the course of two years at least at this point. Why would they ever stop? I mean, they're probably making... A boatload off this. The only reason they would stop is if Sakurai spontaneously combusts. I think from working too much. Yeah, I don't. I wonder if at some point he doesn't just say like, "Hey, well, if this stream of fighters, you know, they haven't added anything that isn't like a fighter and like those packs, right? They haven't. They've added like spirits and stuff, but they haven't. I don't know if they added too many like features or new game modes or anything. So I wonder at some point if Sakurai is there to like set up the the you know the the workflow. To say like just here's how you add new fighters every time, and then at some point he goes he goes and does a third Kid Icarus game or whatever. Mm. Seriously, what year do you think it'll be before we see a non Smash Sakurai game released, Serial? Probably 2023 at at the earliest. I think that's you, very early. Yeah, I don't. know. I can see him making something small for the Switch. Yeah, didn't he say he always? Am I is this somebody else? Didn't he say he always wanted to make like a? A shoot 'em up or something? Oh no, I'm thinking of that was Masuda from Game Freak. He said he always wanted to make a, a shoot 'em up game. Uh, by the way, the lighting in your camera is awesome. Yeah. So it's like no, I love it. It's like JJ Abrams is directing your webcam. It's coming right through. He is actually. He's you know he's been looking for something to do. He's <laughs> out there with <laughs> the big light. thumbs up on the other side. He was the one who tore down that cardboard wall just to let it come through. <laughs> no, we need the light. <laughs> um, Christian Jimenez says, "Hey Min Punks, hey come on." Uh, following Noah Cadwell. Gervais's and Luke Stevens's cyberpunk videos from this past week. I'm not familiar. Um, he says, and having a bit of distance from the launch fiasco, it feels like cyberpunk may not get a happy ending after all. 
even after all the patches. Beyond the bugs and the PR mess, the consensus seems to be that at its core, the game is hollow, undercooked, and does not pick a lane when it comes to the game that it wanted to be. Do you think that with all that, there will even be a Cyberpunk 2 to redeem CD Projekt Red? It's true. I mean, it sold hundreds of trillions of jillions of dollars, but that Noah Caldwell Gervais video was good. I did watch that. Oh, yeah? It was pretty good. Uh, picking a part of it and not fully shitting on it, but it was a interesting dissection that I do recommend. But um, yes, there's going to be a Cyberpunk 2. I think it won't be in the next five years, eight years, but... Well, I mean, there's... Come the- on. For all the... We're getting a new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game. <laughs> Yeah. They make all everything forever. They're rebooting Party Down. That show got canceled because it wasn't doing well. <laughs> <laughs> the rules are out the window. Yeah, and especially when they already said they're working on a multiplayer or something that feels like different enough where maybe they could try and pick up on a different PR train of like, no, no, this is the multiplayer cyberpunk. This is completely different. Um, but it did, um, I mean, we did the deepest dive in Cyberpunk 2077 and I, if I remember correctly, it seemed to be our consensus is like, uh, people are completely rightfully attacking management at CD Projekt Red, but like the game itself, I think it was getting a bad rap gameplay wise that like, it's a totally fun open world RPG, but like did that YouTube video kind of reframe the way you were looking at the, the core gameplay a bit, Leo? A little bit, just as far as how clear it was that it was years away from being what it wanted to be. Yeah. I did enjoy my time with that game for sure, but it was missing so much of the, like richer story or content that it was you know pitched as being chock full of yeah, i guess yeah. but it, the idea though that like cd project red would would do this first game and it's like well it didn't live up to what we wanted it to be therefore we're just going to walk away and not iterate on mm-hmm. you know this thing that still sold billions of copies you know they'll do another one they're working on it they're working on it right now yeah absolutely <laughs> Are you kidding? Uh, Jake Simpson submits a question on Patreon. He says, question for Surreal. Look alive, man. Press your headphones into your head because this is coming in hot. Hello. Harder. <laughs> Harder. Smash them. He says, have you tried the new 12-person glitch in Destiny? It's really fun. Yeah. Also, there's a cool video going around where 12 guardians jumping up and down on top of a fallen spaceship caused it to fall through the ground. Kotaku even made an article about it. Um, what? <laughs> I don't know. That sounds amazing. Oh yeah, it's been it's it's this weird kind of mix of recently of Bungie reacting to bugs in different ways. Um, so they they saw that there was a thing where it's like it's really kind of hard they, they to implement because it's if you join a raid, you can technically have up to like twelve people in your party, but you can't enter an activity. But I guess people discovered that if you're like, okay, I'm watching the the activity three, two, one. If you have someone join you at some point during that countdown, it'll take both of those fire teams into the raid. And so you can have up to 12 people or whatever. And there's been some walkiness, like certain raids work very differently if there are 12 people. Like some things won't trigger, things like that. And people have been trying to figure that out. But Bungie basically said, yeah, we'll give you guys another weekend while we work on that. Uh, (laughs) And I think there was this this exploit in Trials, meanwhile, where people could do something kind of similar to give each other free wins in trials of osiris which is like their super competitive mode and they're just like well you just don't get to play that mode until we fix this like this mode is just disabled until that's done um so it's been this weird kind of like 
dichotomy. But yeah, like running a raid with 12 people is ridiculously fun. It, it, it was it was super cool. But they're like, yeah, we don't really build them for that. But yeah, I, I guess while we fix it, go have at it, I guess. <laughs> That's so bizarre. Um, speaking of weird glitches, I don't, did you guys see that story about how Zack Snyder's Justice League leaked early when people tried to watch Tom and Jerry? Like they'd hit play on Tom and Jerry on HBO Max and would start playing Justice League, which wasn't coming out for another week, couple weeks here. <laughs> Do you think there's any chance that's intentional? Like they have this hot buzz ticket item and maybe Tom and Jerry was underperforming. They just created hundreds of thousands of headlines about Tom and Jerry <laughs> spread across the it, internet. I can't imagine. Isn't yeah. the Zack Snyder one R rated? Well, Wasn't yeah, that like a big, a big thing. They're gonna put that into Tom and Jerry. That's right, and all the, all the kids. Oh, yeah, I, I don't think they, they finally make love. Have I underestimated <laughs> Tom and Jerry? Yeah, Tom dude, and Jerry, forever. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it's kind of like a putting crackdown with Halo, right? Yeah, or by a, on accident, helping. Halo. Yeah. No. <laughs> it's exactly the same. It's mostly because you think you're going to get the thing you want more. Yeah, I oh. agree, Leo. Checks out. All right, yeah, Thank maybe the, the age thing is, is a good point. Anyways, Mike Sweet writes in. He says, bad. I may have missed it, but have you talked about playing Littlewood on Switch? Um, I'm loving it, and I haven't enjoyed a game like it since Falling in Love with Stardew Valley. Nothing else has stuck since, but Littlewood is going to take up a huge amount of time. Um, I bought it on Switch, but I haven't started it on Switch. I'm looking for a good... I'm out of free time just to sit back and play it handheld, but I'm looking forward to checking it out. Um, Leo, you played that a little bit on Steam, right? Or is that just on that stream that one time? Yeah, not too much after that stream, but I okay. I liked it. Yeah, it is cool. I know that um, Kyle said that his daughter and his wife are obsessed with it. So there's people playing it out there, but it definitely could use some more attention. I was expecting it to kind of blow up a little bit more than it did when it released on Switch. Maybe we're just at that point where the idea of the Switch bump doesn't exist as much as we think it does for a lot of games that are already kind of below the radar. And you've talked about how ugly the icon is on Switch, right? <laughs> it is very bad. It's just like this huge pixelated carrot that I think Sean Young, the developer, is going to update at some point. But, um, but yeah, that carrot's holding them back, man. Uh, yeah. Yarf writes in, and he says, I just started playing D&D with some buddies. Have you guys ever played it? Know anything about it? And also, how ashamed should I feel, and how much less of a man does this make me? Jesus Christ, man. Hey. <laughs> what do you podcast you think you're writing into? Freaking Sports Center? Uh, <laughs> get out of here, Yarf. We've always disliked you. Bad uh, experience. Uh, no, D&D is, is cool. I, uh, yeah, it's it, the coolest. It's, I, I mean, it, it really is cool now. You have, like, celebrities doing it. Isn't, isn't the... Didn't I see Vin Diesel or The Rock? One of those two, like, started their own D&D thing? Oh really? Have you, have yeah, Diesel's been like a, a yeah, he's famous a nerd. He's got a D and D tattoo, I think. Come on, it's Vin Diesel. It's good enough for Vin. Yarf. Good enough what are for you Yarf. Doing? I'm gonna tell your wife about it because he's so ashamed. He says, "I don't know if you should tell his wife." Yeah, it's it's silly, but like, even um, <laughs> it's just play around, goofy time. You know, we did uh, that weird text adventure written by an AI for New Show Plus last week, like Weird AI Dungeon, and you brought up Leo, like, it kind of just feels like D&D, and all of that just reminds me of, like, playing with Legos as a kid, just, like, a bunch of making stupid voices and just being creative with friends. That's that's the good stuff, man, so, yeah. Uh, Jeff, what's the most you've ever gotten into D&D? Not a ton. I I played a little with a couple of my friends. We had, like, one 
one guy who was really into it and he he tried to get us and we were immature and just you know did like exactly the kind of thing you you'd think stupid teenage boys would do so we kind of mm-hmm. ruined his fun but it it was it, it was interesting we we did that we did classic D with magic missiles and then we there was like a a werewolf version that you yet you could do but you mm. could turn into a werewolf while you did it we we never stuck with it all too long but it's like it's a it's a really interesting concept and i and i like the me- the under you know underlying mechanisms are still like i geek out about those regardless of it's if it's a video game or tabletop game or role playing game or whatever like that that stuff is interesting and gives it a little more structure than just you know making up so yeah yeah uh easier lord thor Hang on, Leo, did you want to talk about Dandy? Did I move on too fast? Oh, sure. No, it's great. It's like one of the only ways um, you can use your imagination as an adult. (laughs) (laughs) It's a structured way. It's cool to, you know, play play pretend wizards with your friends. And it's genuinely so fun. I wish video games could be more like it in the manner of doing absolutely anything you want at any time and having it react in a way that is good. I I wish... Actual dungeon masters were easier to come by because that it seems like a lot of work to do that and you have to be good at it, I think. And I don't have one of those. <laughs> uh, we could try and convince uh, best friend Ronnie to get back into it. He was a great DM, but he also was like, good God, this is killing me. This is like 30 hours a week <laughs> that I'm putting into just try and maintain this silly campaign. Yeah. Um, Acer Lord Thor writes in and he says, Hey, CLCs, have you ever been able to go into a game completely blind? If so, how'd it go? Closest I've come is probably with Persona 4 Golden. I knew absolutely nothing about it other than what the cover looked like and though supposedly the best Vita game. I remember being totally put off by the opening movie, but I gave the game a chance and now it's one of my favorite games of all time. The old blind games. Anything stand out? Yeah, I do that all the time now with Game Pass. There is, I guess, there yeah, are a million indie games on there that you go into the menu and it's like, I've never heard of this and I'm gonna check it out now. And that's, I, I share his sentiment for like that surprise, like pleasant surprise that you get when you go into something without any expectations and feels good. Feels good. Anybody else have an answer? <laughs> Done. <laughs> I went into the Bioshock demo pretty blind, not the actual game, but I remember, I think it was just a thing where I saw the demo show up on the Xbox Live store, and that was my introduction to Bioshock. Oh, weird. Yeah, that demo was a sensation. I guess in that era, I hadn't heard about that game, but my friend was crazy about it and just showed me it from the beginning. It was pretty crazy seeing that intro for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. Metal Gear Solid 2 is also another one where that was like the a friend just brought it over and said, like, I've been playing this this game. It's called Metal Gear Solid. It's got a mech on the front. And it was this weird kind of like the one thing that he told me inside, like, it's got a mech in it. And that it the mech could not be further from the point of those games. <laughs> if you like Gundam, you'll love a couple yeah. of sections of Metal Gear Solid 2. Well, it is exactly. pretty sweet, to be fair, when Ray or sorry, when Rex. Wait, no. Ray jumps on the tanker like that is it is it, it is cool but at the time i remember thinking like man they're really building up to this robot huh <laughs> <laughs> uh rick from atlanta writes and he says hey crew what does oofta mean and in what situations would you use the phrase 
Jeffum, <laughs> what does oofta mean and when you're using it? Well, when you're old, it's like anytime you sit down or stand up. Yes. Or... That was it's exactly like get... what I thought of. Yeah. Is like when I was thinking about like, yeah, what is pinnacle oofta? It's like my mom <laughs> after like a lot of tubing on like our cabin tubing hill in the winter, like sitting down on the couch afterwards and going, whoo, oofta, like that, that type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. You pinnacle know, oofta is also the name of a JRPG boss. In mm. that, if that RPG takes place in Minnesota. Right, right. Yeah. Um, is oof short for oofta? Oh. People say oof to me online to be mean. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> I looked into it. So if you're not familiar, please leave a comment if you've never heard oofta before. But it's one of those things that you just grow up with and then you realize, oh, that's a Minnesota thing or I think Wisconsin as well. Um, but I looked it up, the etymology of oofta, and it turns out in Danish and Norwegian, oof is a mild and polite interjection used mostly in vernacular language when something is unpleasant, uncomfortable, hurtful, annoying, sad, or irritating. So it maybe that oof comes from that, kind of in the like oof kind of way. But yeah, it's weird. It feels like an automatopoeia, though. It feels guttural. Yes, um, they say yeah, it and, is. And when when you get old, older as I am, like you find that you actually start involuntarily making those noises when it's like, I pick up something heavy that just comes out of my mouth. Oof or oof duh? Oof. Okay. Uh, I guess I could add the duh as like a flare, you know, finish to it, but. It needs it, yeah. It's just like the yeah. punctuation yeah. at the end. Uh, according to Wikipedia, it says, oofta may be used in Norwegian as a response when hearing something lamentable, but not too serious. It could be translated as, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> Oofta. Yeah, and, and like on Wikipedia, it's like, oh, it's kind of like the Yiddish oy vey. That's what Oofta is. And it's like, yeah, I guess so. You could have that reaction if you're talking about like, oh, I twisted my ankle, went on the stairs the other day. Be like, Ooh, Oofta. Something like that, I guess. But I always think of it with like the physical exertion too. But maybe I've always had it wrong. Oofta about your grandmother's passing. <laughs> <laughs> send, send, send my oofta to your family <laughs> you son of it uh, people in the backstage pass uh, have never heard of it believe it or not Okay. Uh, and they're wondering how you spell it um, I guess U-F-F-D-A would probably be the oofta I, I would assume O-O-F-D-A it's, it's, hmm. you can't spell it it's a feeling that is the yeah. oofta um, but yeah, a lot of people try to be very cute with it in Minnesota. There's a lot of oofta stores and you can go in any cute gift shop and buy a mug with an outline of the state of Minnesota and it'll say oofta below it and all that fun stuff. Do they have a loofah called the loofta? Absolutely. Oofta oof, loof. <laughs> it's very oof, lamentable. Oof, it's a squeaky toy that goes oof, oof. <laughs> a dog shirt that says woofta. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Look, Dude. this is the real future of MinMax is getting into Oofta merch because business is a booming. Oh, man. It into retail. <laughs> <laughs> no one's doing it this year for some reason. They're blowing it. Uh, what do y'all like for question of the week? I feel like the Oofta question took up a, a larger portion of the conversation than I was expecting. We all learned something. That's true. There's the Dream one. There's Cyberpunk 2. There is Oofta. I mean, it's a classic question, Leo. Which, which question made the show better? Hmm. Besides all of them. Right. That's true. Well, hang on. Yarf, he doesn't count. He wrote in embarrassed about D&D, so 
Oh yeah. He's got Can go. you believe that guy played D&D? <laughs> <laughs> Nerd zone. Oofta. <laughs> <laughs> we should just give it to Oofta, right? Let's give it to Oofta. Yeah. All right, that's Do Rick it. from Atlanta. Congratulations. I am 8-Bit. We'll ship out that Watam double vinyl soundtrack for you. Thank you mm. to everybody who submitted a wonderful question over on Patreon at patreon.com slash max with two ends. Now it's time for something that we call Get a Load of This. Leo, what do you think, man? Hey, get a load of this. You know how Jeff Cork, our dear friend, <gasps> yeah. announced he's moving on from Game Informer? Yeah, wild. I found an old article of his recently from April 26, 2010, titled, uh, Update, Pitchford Reacts to Reichert Hacking Scandal, 50-Day Suspension. And it's in, it's originally a piece about Dan Reichert, uh, hacking his xbox live account to have achievements on it that he didn't earn or you know rather hacking the games to get all the achievements okay and it's just written like a real news story which is very interesting to read on this site this completely satirical story that just looks completely real and it has an update (laughs) with an actual quote from randy pitchford about (laughs) what happened what did it say uh, there's a, there's one good line here. I'm lighting a torch and joining the angry mob outside the Game Informer office until this scandal is settled, he added. I'm changing my name from Pitchford to Pitchfork until justice is served. <laughs> and I talked to him and I said the funny, the, the fake Pitchford quote was a great touch. And he said, no, that was really him. What? <laughs> yeah. That's wild. Yeah, Jeff Cork is leaving Game Informer uh, for a, a new adventure. Um, he's not joining Midmax full time, but he'll still be the co-host of Better Quest over here, and maybe he'll pop up, you know, on some additional shows here and there. But best of luck to him and to the rest of the Game Informer crew. Uh, let's see, Leo. Who do you want to hear from next? Forget a load of this. You can choose anybody. Oh, give me surreals. Give me surreals. Oh, oh yeah, here we go. Christmas All right, here, here we go. Uh, get a load of this. Uh, you might have noticed that Halo Infinite isn't out. That's yeah. it. That's my no. Uh, <laughs> so, but you might have noticed that there are promotions tied to it, right? That are currently ongoing, including a new flavor of Pringles, mm. uh, flavored after you know everyone's favorite. You say it with me, Moa, Moa Burger. Moa Burger. Moa Burger. Uh, which is a, a bird indigenous to reach uh, the extinct planet. Why? Uh, so they released a new Pringles flavor. Uh, <gasps> they're the wavy oh, variety. He's got it. He's got it, everybody. Uh, it's got the Halo guy on the front. Wow. Looking over. Yeah, he's he's played by Olin Wilson in this can. <laughs> uh, I haven't. And now I'm going to try them. It's weird because if, if you look at the burger here. Yeah. It's like already a novelty burger for like four. It's got like four patties on there. Right, right. Just, they don't patties. actually show them any sign of the Moa because that would gross. Itself, yeah, but it looks like yeah. an ostrich. Yeah, you don't want to put like a picture of a cow on their hamburger packaging. Oh, he's eating it. Crunch. I don't know what Moa is supposed to taste like. Yeah, but that <laughs> tastes kind of smoky, a little bit spicy. Um, burger is not the first thing I would use to describe it because it's all spice. It feels like it's all spice. I don't, I'm not tasting a lot of burger there, but, but I don't hate it. It seems all right. So you're saying Moa and not Lessa? 
That's right. I want more of these. Woo-wee. There it is, everybody. Uh, Mint Snacks is back. <laughs> Mint Snacks lives. As a Minnesota resident, I can't not read MOA as Mall of America every single time. <laughs> There's yeah. a place for fun in my mouth. MOA. The M- MOA burger. <laughs> uh, also extinct. Hey, Jeff, you want to go next? <laughs> yeah, get a load of this. Uh, this was like a really interesting niche story, like a week and a half ago, and now it's everywhere. But uh, Christie's was auctioning off the first digital-only art piece, right. and it, it's been an ongoing. It's been an ongoing. You know, it's like a month-long auction or something like that, and it's up to three and a half million dollars. Um, and but you don't have to pay any attention to that story because it kicked off like a huge sale of digital art that is using blockchain technology. Finally, someone came up with a use for blockchain technology in these non-fungible tokens. Mm-hmm. But the, the one the one thing that was interesting to me out of all of that technology or, you know, like blockchain stuff is that when an artist creates the, you know, the actual piece and they they kind of tie it to this blockchain NFT that they're called, they can set a percentage price on it, a commission price. And then every time, you know, it's like 10% or whatever percent that they want. And then they sell the piece and they get all the money for when they sell it. But then if that person sells it again, and every time it gets sold after that, they get that percentage that they chose when they created the piece forever and ever from all the other sales that go on. Weird. And so if, if they if they sell a piece for like, you know, a hundred dollars and it becomes super expensive because they shoot the president in the future or whatever, and they sell it for a hundred million dollars later, they'll still get a huge percentage of that. And I thought that was just a really cool way of artists actually being able to profit from their own, you know, continued popularity since so much of art trading is just about, they don't really care about the art or the artist so much just Mm -hmm. as like, it's it's an appreciating value that they get that it's nice that artists can actually now profit from that in the future. And right now it's like completely blowing up for a lot of digital artists. They're making a ton of money. Right. And then and also and Jack a, Dorsey's selling his tweet. His at a tragic tweet. environmental cost, we should say. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's a bizarre rabbit hole for sure. That's going to be our inevitable future. So everybody look forward to that. Hey, uh, get a load of this. Look for- oh. The Whoopta NFT that I'm going to put up for sale right after this. <laughs> the Oofta first coin. digital Oofta. <laughs> yep. uh, hey, get a load of this. Um, I love Survivor, uh, but there has not been new Survivor for a while now because of this darn virus. Um, and so I've been watching a lot of this show called Alone recently on Hulu, which is very, very good, where it's just 10, yeah, 10 guys, or the first season at least, it's 10, 10 guys, get sent out uh, to live on the Vancouver Island in the woods and they have to like film themselves and survive. But it's very satisfying, just like the structures of the little buildings that they make and them trying to run away from bears and all that fun stuff. But there's a little factoid in this show alone that blew my mind. Maybe everybody already knows this, but one of these weird rough and tumble survivor guys is like, "Ah, sun's going down. I don't know how much time I have. And then he just holds his hand like this. He's like, okay, I have 45 minutes. What is this? Turns out when the sun is nearing the horizon, you can hold your hand up like this to it, and each finger is 15 minutes of the sun going down. Huh. Isn't that bizarre? 
with it's the pen, bottom like, of your hand at the horizon yes. line? Is that the idea? Yep. Oh, okay. Yep. So if you ever wanted to tell time and know how much time you had until the sunset, uh, that Could is... Could you do that like all the way the up? I would guess not because I think it changes because when you're looking at the horizon, you're looking through more of the atmosphere and so the sun's bigger. So I'd imagine like that gets, you know... Mm different but you can try looking at the sun for a long time with your fingers if you're yeah, really I'll just stare yeah, at directly it at 45 it, yeah. minutes yeah and then eventually you get really... a permanent mark where you can see wherever the sun is mm-hmm. everywhere you go Oofta. really thin <laughs> fingers or really thick fingers mm, yeah could throw off the measurement well it could it throw, might not be or it could exactly correct in a second yeah i think jeffem's right it would throw off uh, the speed of the spin of the earth more than anything right. else yeah so careful yeah use your Make fingers sure your hands wisely. are normal <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> normies only uh jeff from jeff one from the community in the discord yeah get a load of this uh this was a cool one that that flow state of fernwa posted he said incredible display of drone piloting skills and a fun short film yeah uh, it's by jaybird films it's called right up our alley and it's basically a drone flying through his um this bowling alley and it it makes like a ton of different loops it looks like it's all done in one shot i can't believe that that could possibly be the case it's wild but it is it is a just an amazing shot of you know it's like a minute long or whatever of just flying around and timing everything perfectly and piloting this thing super well going uh, underneath people's legs going up behind into where the bowling balls go and like the mechanisms and stuff like it yeah. the flying it feels like is this thing the size of a mosquito like how does that footage look so good yeah. it's I, absurd i don't know how they did it but it's it's super impressive you didn't say the coolest part about and it it's now an nft that you can buy right now uh, no but didn't you notice that that's bryant lake bowl in uptown minnesota Oh, I didn't even I didn't even realize that's why. I mean, that, I mean that's exactly why I picked it. <laughs> yeah, of, man. That's fun fact. Yeah, it's fun to see. Um, hometown pride going through there, getting viral. Um, let's see. That's it for this episode of the MinMax Show podcast. Uh, things to plug. Um, MinMax Council, our Patreon-exclusive podcast, which you get access to if you support us on Patreon. Um, this week, Kyle was on, and we uh, reviewed Raya, and The Last Dragon, the new Disney film, also coming to America. Uh, we talked all about that and kind of the history of legacy sequels. It's a fun discussion there, but you can uh, support us on Patreon and unlock that big bonus podcast every single Monday. Um, Serial, you're raising your hand like a maniac. No, I was waving. I was waving. Oh, okay, cool. Um, other things, yeah, Trivia Tower, it's this Monday. So support us at any tier on Patreon. You can compete in video game trivia to win game codes and an Astro A50 headset with Daniel Dwyer as the co-host this time around. Should be a very fun time, so let us know if you have any questions about that. We'd love to see you, because again, we're trying to work our way up to 2,500 patrons so that we can create the Lord of the Rings commentary, Leo. Yeah. It's going to be a fun yeah. time. It is going to be a bit of a journey for us if we hit it. So any help sharing MinMax with a friend is appreciated. Um, also, heads up that we have an interview that right now, at least, is going to be going live on Monday, also March 15th, that I'm very excited about. It is our first interview with a Japanese developer. And without tipping my hand too much, let's just say it's a follow-up to one of our greatest, deepest dives ever. Uh, it's Super a, Mario 64? I'm not going to say, but it touches on another Deepest Dive that we did as well, but I'm very excited for the interview to get out there, and I've always wanted to talk to this developer. And during the Deepest Dive, there's a lot of like, what do you think this guy's like? 
we'll find out on Monday. And if you enjoy that interview and help sharing it is appreciated. Um, anybody else want to plug anything at all? Uh, that me and Dan's stream series, it's all in one playlist and you can just watch it all the way through now. If you're not a stream liker, you can watch it on YouTube and it's just as fun. I'm very glad we did that. I'm very proud of those streams. Yeah, that was really fun because like you've recorded stuff with Dan before, but it was fun just to see like, yeah, what is that Leo and Dan dynamic after five hours of streaming Hitman together? What is this like? But it's always super fun. Yeah, it's it was very fun to like we've been on things before, like you said, but we finally got into rhythm together, which was very fun. And, you know, I was a fan of his work for so many years. Very gratifying for me. Yeah. And I also want to plug that because I know there's some confusion for like, we're switching off on people's channels, but every video we did, it's all in one playlist on youtube.com slash Max show. Sweet. Awesome. Um, We should thank everybody that supports us at the $50 tier, but my voice is shot. As you can hear Leo, you want to take it, dude? I got it, man. Feed me, pass me the rock. I'll bring it home. Hey, Will Cornelius, I am 8-Bit, Mirko Arico Torreno, Moonface Nick, Zachary Pliggy, Beaten Down Brian, Rated G for Gamers, Mark Saliga, Andrew Irkwitz, Jawar Hello, Brian with a Y, PrettyGoodPrinting.com, Andrew Valla, Ludwig Roke, Super Serious Sam, Yarrow, Spiral in Your Eyes, Richard Smuts, Clint Farley, Clayton Myers, Pretham Yarlagata, My Name is Leo and I Am Hot to Trot, Spider Dan, Starkiller, Steve Bamdad, Jesse Vitelli, Slick Nick, and Alex Paint. Awesome. Thanks so much, everybody. Be good. Have fun. Let's go. Let's go.